You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning and Happy New Year. (laughs) I know it'll be a Happy New Year. it's 2022. It's now upon us, right? And even all, all that we've been through over the past year, past couple of years, you know, we can still say with confidence that God is still faithful, right? And, and on that end, I know we can expect him to continue to work out his good and perfect will within this church, within this city, within this country, and throughout the world. Amen? Amen. Um, though I'm not going to lie, after I wrote the year 2022, in my notes for this morning. I, I had to actually check the calendar just to make sure that I wasn't mistaken because it feels so weird to write that. Um, and, and last year, it just for me, it just last year just flew completely by, right? Uh, anyone else feel like that? Like the year just went so fast. For some people, it might have gone really slowly and took forever. But uh, for me, I don't know. It, it kind of was slow, but also really fast. Like it just like happened like that. And uh, that's the thing about time, right? It flies, as they say, metaphorically, for all the literalists, that's the word, out there. That's metaphorical. Time flies. It doesn't actually have wings, but it does go quickly, uh, especially when we're having a good time. Um, The point being, though, time goes faster than we realize, right? And then before we know it, we run out of it. It's a sobering fact, but it's the truth. And In fact, did you know that I'm turning 40 this year? That's ridiculous. I didn't give anyone permission for that. Um, But time flies. So as we begin this year and we start looking ahead, let's ask ourselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with our time? Or here's an even better question. Are, are we using it wisely according to our calling, according to the grace we've been given? Are we doing that? Well, it happens that this is the very subject Jesus will be challenging us with as we jump back into our sermon series through Luke. And so it seems very fitting and, shall I say, timely as we begin the new year. And so if you want to turn with me to Luke 12, we're going to start at verse 35 and, be, and we're going to be reading to verse 48. Luke 12, 35 to 48. Jesus is speaking to uh, his disciples in a crowd that's standing with them. And he says, Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, They can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Good question, Peter. The Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delayed his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. This is the word of the Lord. So again, with it being the first week of 2022, as uh, Pastor Brad already mentioned earlier, I'm sure that, as always, some of you are likely making resolutions of what you'd like to accomplish or grow in or, or what bad habits you'd like to change or good ones you'd like to start, which is great. Though I, hopefully, if you are making resolutions, you're actually using the Lord's Prayer or the fruit of the Spirit and passages like that as guides for your resolutions, if you are making any, because those are the things that matter. If not, I would encourage you to do so, and hopefully this sermon will encourage you to do so. On the other hand, as, as you've already said, everyone, Brad's like, is anyone doing resolutions? You're like, ooh, right? So I, I bet some, a lot of you think resolutions are the devil and refuse to just make them for whatever reason. Fair enough, because um, not to sound discouraging, I, again, like, but 80% of people fail them within the first month. So uh, that cartoon that Brad talked about is true. Um, but regardless of our opinions on resolutions, I'd like, I'd like to ask this and, and challenge you that the same way that Brad did. He's preaching my sermon. He's basically this morning already. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'd like to ask this. What, what if everyone, one of us, made at least one resolution or rather a perspective shift this year? And not, not just a random one, but this, this one specifically that I'm going to read. What if we made this resolution together as the church to live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. And again, Pastor Brad said it a little differently, to resolve to seek thy face, right? To seek Jesus. To live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. And that resolution is, is not to be confused with, with the cliche, cliche phrases like, live like you were dying, or you only live once, or live life to its fullest. These are phrases which more often than not just motivate us to create a personalized bucket list of things we want to accomplish or experience for ourselves before our time is up. Instead, what I'm saying is that as Christians, we should live each day in anticipation of Jesus' return. Why, you ask? Well, simply because he is coming again. And, and not as this, this humble baby as we just celebrated at Christmas, but as the victorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we, we were just singing about it, right? 
Psalm 116, we were just singing about it. He's coming again to restore heaven and earth and raise up all who believe in the resurrection life. He's coming again in all authority to destroy the wicked and judge the whole earth with perfect justice and righteousness. He's coming again to gather his church, his bride into the new Jerusalem, into the eternal presence of God the Father, to dwell with him in glory where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, just joy. And that, that is our home. Chantel, can you do me a favor and put Psalm 116 chorus on there again? We were just singing. I'm putting you on the spot here. Is it, is it still there? Oh. No, that... Or go back into the first verse. I can't remember where it is. We were singing it, and I was like, we need to just go, go through this again. Yeah, that I will dwell in the shadow of your mercy, that part. I will dwell in the shadow of your mercy. That's the second verse there. I will dwell in the shadow of your mercy. I will walk in the land of those who live. I'll raise up the cup of your salvation. Right, we're gonna have a feast with Jesus. You turn my soul to rest. You turn my soul to rest. That, that is our, our eternal destiny. That is our hope. You all were singing it, right? Who was singing that? So just think about how that perspective, if you were singing that all the time, in your heart, in your mind. Think about how that perspective, how anticipating this would change the way we lived today, right now. Because it should. In fact, it would, it would change everything. Right? If, if we not only believed in Jesus for our salvation, but also truly waited in anticipation for Christ's glorious return for all things to be made new, it would most definitely transform our motives our priorities, our goals and our dreams, our attitude towards one another, and also our resolve in any and every circumstance. And so it's no surprise then that Jesus' return is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. Sometimes as a warning. You know when, when Peter asks, oh, who are you talking to, Jesus? Well, sometimes it's a warning for unbelievers of the deserved judgment they'll receive if Jesus finds them living unfaithfully, which we read in our passage this morning. Though for Christians, those who follow him, those who believe in him, his return is written mostly as a reminder to first be watchful and ready, but secondly, as an encouragement and as a reason to stand firm in faith, to help us persevere through trials and, and to continue in good works. So, so let's think about it like this. Hypothetically, if, if you found out for sure that Jesus was coming next week, how would that change the way you live right now and today? How would it change? This is for you personally. You've got to answer this question, these questions yourself. How would it change what and who is important in your life? How would it change our conversations with other believers and with non-believers? 
and what we talk about, what we focus on? How would it change how you spent your time and your money? How, how, how would it change what you'd be willing to go through for his name and for his sake? Or better yet, would the Bible still seem as boring of a book since the last time you picked it up two weeks ago? Or would you start digging into it? Would you really choose to spend more time binge-watching Netflix originals than you do praying and meditating on God's Word if you knew Jesus was coming again next week? Probably not. And yet, Jesus is coming again. So shouldn't our lives already reflect that reality and that hope? And that hope? Because for all we know, he could come back tomorrow or next week or in a hundred years. We don't know. It says he'll come like a thief in the night. Verse 40 says, You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We expect him to come, but we don't know what time we should expect. And so this isn't just a silly or or small resolution that I'm asking us as a church to make, but a life-changing and a courageous one. It's a challenging one, for sure. But the reality is that if we did live each day and interpreted each moment with the lens and with the mindset of expecting Jesus to return, our lives will be transformed in ways that we can't even imagine. And it's honestly how we're supposed to live as Christians anyways. Titus 2, 11 to 14 is one of many examples in the scripture of this attitude. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We just celebrated that at Christmas, right? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. As Christians, we put a lot of focus on the cross, which is good and correct and important because the cross, Jesus laying down his life for the punishment of our sins, is central and foundation to our faith. It's, it's, uh, it's our salvation by grace It's our eternal life. What I like about this passage from Titus is that while it ends and begins with its focus on Jesus' sacrifice for us, it also reminds us in the middle that what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection hasn't been fully revealed. We're waiting for it, it says. We're waiting for Jesus to come again. We're waiting for our blessed hope to appear in full. In fact, the whole earth longs and groans for it with us as well. And while we wait, we're meant to see that every good thing, every every blessing and every miracle, it gives us a small glimpse of what it'll look like in full. And conversely, every injustice, every disease, and every tragedy and every act of evil should stir in us a deeper longing for the just and perfect judge to come and redeem it all. 
And so again, if we lived each day and each moment of our lives with that, that anticipation and that expectation of Jesus' return without a doubt, in the waiting, it'll change our outlook and our attitude and our desire in every situation and circumstance. In fact, we'd probably have the same attitude of the faithful servants of the master's household in, in Jesus' two but very similar parables from our passage this morning. Because, because, again, if we believe the master will return, it will first of all, I have five points about this, it will first of all give us hopeful expectation. Right? There's something sure to look forward to. In four months, my family has a, has a holiday planned. We haven't had a holiday together in a long time. Uh, and let me tell you, I'm sure you can relate after this COVID situation. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, even though it might get delayed again, I don't know. It might get delayed. doesn't matter. No matter how long it takes to come, I'm still looking forward to it whenever, whenever that holiday arrives. In fact, this holiday has been on my mind a lot these days, especially in the, the busy and stressful moments that have come up in the last couple of months where, you know, I just wanted to throw in the towel and just lie in my bed and do nothing. Anyone relate to that? Yeah. But part of the reason I didn't was because I, I knew that my time of rest was coming soon. I can keep going because I know that rest is coming soon. In a much bigger way and spiritual way, when we expect and anticipate Christ's return and the rest he'll bring us, when we have that future heavenly home in mind, it becomes that constant reminder that there's a reason for all of this. That our calling and our works are not in vain. Especially in times of discouragement or sorrow or suffering, we can remain hopeful when we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, a finish line in this race that we're running. And it's that mindset which can remind, motivate, and, and strengthen us to press on and persevere through thick and thin. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-7, says, So we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are always of good courage. So let's keep our eyes and our faith and our hope attuned to Jesus' second coming. Secondly, knowing the Master is coming back will prompt us to be ready and prepared. Speaking of going on vacation, the way that I usually pack for trips is that I spend a couple of hours the night before just throwing all my stuff in a bag. And I admit that's not smart. My wife doesn't like that very much. And sometimes I forget stuff. But my wife, Audrey, she, she does it way better than me. She doesn't wait for the last moment. She prepares in advance, right? She makes a list. She makes a list for herself and each of our boys, makes sure she has everything she needs, that our kids will have everything they need. And then she starts packing weeks beforehand. She makes herself and our kids ready for the vacation. And in the same way, if, if we lived our lives in the hope that Jesus is coming again, then we'll want to prepare ourselves for that day. Of course, this is what Jesus tells us to do as well. We, we read in our passage this morning, we're warned by Jesus to be prepared for his second coming, that the servant should be ready at all times for whatever moment the master returns. And so how do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves? It's not complicated. And, it, and it's mostly just about spending time with God. 
2 Corinthians 5, 5 writes, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we should be eager to spend time with the one who will prepare our hearts and our lives for that day. We should be spending time with God. And again, as, as I think I say every Sunday, we get to do that mainly through constant prayer and, and through fasting and reading his word and allowing it, to, allowing it to change us. Not reading his word and changing it according to what we want. No, allowing it to change us and sanctify us. We can do that by worshiping, whether that's alone or, or with other believers, like this morning. We can do that through storing our treasures in heaven, through loving one another, all in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit who's given to us as a guarantee. And, and if that lifestyle, if what I just described, if that doesn't describe you, well, you could still say you believe in Jesus as your Savior and, and, and your resurrection hope, but you're certainly not anticipating it or expecting it. I don't mean to offend you by that, but that's the reality. If Jesus is coming for us, I think we'd want to ensure that he knows us and that we know him when he does. The last words we'll want to hear upon his return is, get away from me, I never knew you. But Lord, Lord, no, get away from me, I never knew you. Conversely, if we do know him and we love him, we'll make ourselves ready for him like the servant faithfully waiting with his serving clothes and the table set and the feast prepared for whenever his master decides to return from his wedding day. In Jewish custom, <clears throat> excuse me, in Jewish custom, weddings could last all night and sometimes all week. And so the servant would never know when their master would return home with his new bride. So this meant that the servants would have to have their serving clothes on and have a feast prepared for him for whatever moment that he arrived. Like the, the table had to be set, the house had to be clean, everything had to be in order. And this should be our mindset as believers in our personal lives. We should be making ourselves and our hearts ready for his return through the leading of his, his word and the sanctifying work of his spirit. And the thing is, the more we grow in him, the more we'll look forward to it. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we'll anticipate and desire his return. It's like when my house is clean and in order, I look forward to having guests over, but when they show up unannounced and my house is a mess and there's, there's stuff everywhere, I'm mortified. My wife is even more mortified than me. Who loves having people show up when your house is a mess? Exactly. And in the same way, we're, we're reminded in Jesus' second parable with the master hopefully coming home to see his manager of the household doing what he instructed him to, to do. Sorry. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat again. He doesn't want to come home and seeing the manager doing the opposite of what he instructed him to do. Right? He doesn't want to come home seeing the manager saying, oh, he's delayed in his coming. I can just do whatever I want. I'm in charge now. Right? That's, that's how we live our lives sometimes. We're like, oh, 
well, Jesus might come again, but who knows? But I'm in charge now. I can do whatever I want. No, he wants to come and see us doing what he's called us to do. And that clear picture of the, of the, the manager of the household and the master returning tells us that waiting for Jesus to come again doesn't equate to, to sitting, sitting around on our laurels and staring into the sky waiting for him to come again either. But that to wait on the Lord is to actively pursue him, to live for him, to grow in him. Which leads us to the next point, that if we expect the master to return, then as his servants, we'll also remain alert and sober-minded for when he does come. Luke 12, 37 it says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. So again, if we expect Jesus to come again, we'll be sure to not just be ready for him and prepared, but we'll, be, we'll remain alert and watchful for him. He should find us spiritually awake and not caught off guard like the rest of the world. And that doesn't mean like in a moment of sin, like you, you slipped up in that moment, the moment that Jesus comes again, that you're hooped. That is not what that means, right? I just want to clarify that. It's like you've been, you've, been, you've been doing good works and you've been faithful, and then the moment you like slip up, it's like, mm, too bad for you. I came at the wrong time. No. You know, it's like when you're watching a movie and then when you're a kid and you're a teenager and, you're, and your parent comes downstairs to just see what you're watching. That's the only time in the movie there's a swear word. You know what I'm talking about? That, that, that's not what's happening here, okay? Um, if we expect, right? <laughs> he knows our hearts. And there's always grace. But he should find us spiritually awake, right? He should, we shouldn't be caught off guard like the rest of the world when Jesus comes again. We, we don't know what time he comes, but when he does come, we should, we should be like, yep, we knew it. We were waiting for it. We were ready for it. As it says in verse 35, stay dressed for action and ready to serve. Right? He shouldn't find us napping, spiritually speaking, or, or, or worse, abusing others for selfish gain or caught up in worldly desires like the unfaithful manager of the household in Jesus' parable. Rather, when he comes, he should find faith on this earth. He should find us like the servant to his master waiting at the door with the lights on so we can open it for him. He should find us alert and ready to welcome him. You know, it's just like turning on the outside lights of your house for a family member when you know they're going to come home late at night. Our lives should be lit up with his light, ready to receive him, ready to serve him. He should find us living lives that proclaim his name and doing what he's called us to do in his word. But here's the amazing part. When Jesus does show up and he sees his disciples serving and ready to serve, he's not going to recline at the table and, and make us wait on him. Instead, he's going to invite us to recline at the table so that he can serve us. Isn't that incredible? He just totally flips it around. He's like, I see that you're ready for me. Now I'm going to serve you. We'll get to feast with the master. And the master will serve us, for he came to serve, not to be served. That's when we raise that cup of salvation with him. And, and, and this is incredible. You know, I, I have trouble falling asleep when I'm anticipating something exciting the next day. So how could our souls fall asleep 
when we know that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is coming again to serve us and feast with us and bring us into his eternal rest and glory. Fourthly then, if we anticipate his coming, it'll instill and remind us of our purpose. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So our purpose is to please him. That's our purpose. That's our calling, to please him, to live for him and proclaim him until he comes again. And as I said before, we, we don't want to be found living a life that's contrary to the life of holiness that he's called us and filled us with his spirit to live out. We're not going to be perfect in it, but we should be desiring and growing in it. Luke 21, 34. Jesus says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. If we're watching ourselves, if we're constantly reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming again, if we believe that our salvation and life is in Christ, then it won't be fleeting pleasures we seek. We won't be seeking to please ourselves, our, our flesh but we'll be seeking to do good works that glorify him and point the world to him, right? In other words, we'll make choices that lift him up. We'll seek his perfect will and desires over our own. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll worship him with our gifts and in all that we do. And we'll even joyfully endure burdens or, or suffering for his glory if necessary because we know that whatever we face on this earth pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us when he comes again. And that therefore doing good works for his name is more purposeful than anything that the world tempts us with. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 to 58 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. If we see it, if we see it in faith, if we're longing for it, if our hope is placed firmly upon it, our lives and our outlook on life will reflect that. And finally then, if we anticipate Jesus is coming, it will give us urgency in our calling. Not only will we know our calling, but it will give us urgency in our calling. Luke 12, 48 it says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. No pressure, right? But seriously, though, while this verse is meant to warn us, at the same time, and, and probably more so, it's meant to inspire us to rise to the challenge. It's meant to give us a sense of, of purpose and urgency in that purpose. 
It's meant to draw us into the strength of his power and might and the leading of his spirit. It's meant to propel us into our calling to live for him according to the grace we've been given and to make every effort in the time we've been given to proclaim his saving gospel to as many people as we can before he comes again. 2 Corinthians 15.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So again, when some people think of Jesus' return, they get the wrong idea that they just have to sit around and wait for it, keep their faith to themselves. But that's selfish. That's selfish. Nothing about being Christian is meant to be selfish. And yes, at the same time, Jesus' return is our hope, and, and this life is hard sometimes. And so it's natural sometimes that we just want Jesus to just come right now, like we're ready for you, we've had enough, come right now. But he's being patient. He wants more people to come to him, to know him. But yet, whether he does come sooner or whether he does come later or whether he comes after our time on this earth is done, either way, it means our time is running out. Which means we should be filled with, with a passion-fueled and Holy Spirit-charged urgency to make sure the church, God's people, are ready as well. We should be filled with a desire to both encourage and teach other believers while simultaneously seeking out the lost in order to invite them in. As, as, as Paul says in that, that verse I just read, knowing the fear of the Lord, in other words, knowing that Jesus is coming with righteous judgment, we persuade others. That means we convince others and we proclaim to others the gospel so that when Jesus comes, they know him too. So that like us, they're judged according to Christ's work at the cross, not by their own sinful works. And, and it's no lie that, that many of us, especially all the introverts out there, we're timid about sharing our faith or evangelizing to others. Or even just inviting someone to church or to watch the service online or something. We're timid about that. But think of it like this. If, if your apartment building was burning down, would you be too timid to tell your neighbors to evacuate? Would you be like, oh, I'm, I'm too shy to save their lives? No. Or better yet, if a guy was handing out a million dollars to anyone who asked, but just for one day only, wouldn't you tell everyone and anyone about it before that day was over? Strangers and friends alike, wouldn't you run, run around in the streets being like, that guy over there is handing out a million dollars. Go get a million dollars. Wouldn't you do that? Yeah, you would. But salvation in Christ is worth way more than a million dollars. And it also saves us from the fire of judgment, from hell. And so it's everything. It's life. It's eternal life. So why would we hesitate on this? Why are we timid about this? When it, when it comes to sharing the gospel with as many people as we can before Jesus comes again, there's no room for complacency. There's no room for apathy. There's no room for excuses. 
There should be only an excitement. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty and be like, oh, I feel guilty if I don't spread Jesus. No, there should be an excitement about it. There should be a heartfelt urgency to see as many people saved as possible before that day. That's the reason we're still here. Same goes with meeting together as a church. Jesus isn't coming just for you. He's coming for the church. He's coming for the body of Christ. The whole. His perfected bride. And I think that if we truly grasp that as well, then being a committed part of the body of Christ would also be a priority. We'd be prepared as a church. We'd make sure that we're prepared as a church. There'd be a sense of urgency and a longing to be part of it, to invite others into it, and again, to encourage and build up others within it before that day. All in all, if, if we truly grasp and believe that Jesus is coming again as the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords to receive his bride and make all things new, then let's live our lives so that when the Master does come in all his glory, these are the words we get to hear from Matthew 25, 23. His Master said to his servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Those are the words that I want to hear when Jesus comes again. Enter into the joy of your master. And so in conclusion this morning, I want to challenge you all this year to live each day, each moment in anticipation of Jesus' return, starting right now. And if we do this, if we do this together, if we place our hope on that day and desire to live in preparation for it, I know that God will be able to work in us and in this church in ways that we can't even comprehend. I know we'll move with unfettered determination and boldness in our mission and mandate to proclaim the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. As it says in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord, but be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you that you have come. That you came into this world to live the life we couldn't live. To take the punishment of sin on our behalf at the cross. And to conquer death in your resurrection. So that we may one day be raised up in resurrection life with you, Lord. We thank you for that salvation and we thank you for that hope that you've given us, Lord. But Lord, we also know that you are coming again. And we look forward to that day when all things are made new, when evil is crushed for good, 
and we get to reign with you in, in glory in the presence of God the Father. Lord, I pray that we would keep that at the forefront of our minds, that anticipation of your coming again, whenever that will be. Whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, whether it's a year from now, whether it's a hundred years from now, Lord, it doesn't matter. I pray that we would live in anticipation of your return. That it would motivate us to grow in the word, to follow your commandments with a, with a joyful obedience to encourage one another within the church and Lord to proclaim your gospel to those who don't know it so that they may come to know you as well Lord I pray that we would not be apathetic that we would not be lazy that we would not be distracted in the calling that you've given us Lord, but that we would live our lives according to the grace that you've given each of us. That we would live our lives in a way that glorifies you, that lifts you up, that shines your light. And that we would be ready and alert and sober-minded for when you come again. Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we glorify your name. We lift you up. We worship you and we give you all the glory. Amen.